0: The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. Darkimaginings.com
1: Welcome, boys and ghouls. It's time once again to kick open the old mausoleum door and see what climbs out. Clawing his way out of a fetid grave is Drew, aka Rabid Badger! Pull up a slab with Jim Millspaw in his award winning role as the professor of torture, Meathook Jim! Jason Storm is here as fan favorite gothic commentator Storm! Do you smell something burning? It must be Salem's favorite old crone, Jonah
2: Summers!
1: (laughs) Now light a torch, grab your pitchfork, and make like a bunch of terrified villagers! You found another episode of The Big Harry show! <laughs> <laughs>
3: April showers bring Mayflowers. What do Mayflowers bring? A new episode of The Big Scary Show. Coming at you right now, and boy do we got some fun things going on for you in this episode. We'll start off with Badger in Deadline News. He's got all the information you need to know about the industry. You you gotta get into this summer, get into your plans, and being in the know-how. So we got that in Deadline News. Um, I've got a haunt minute, and I'll uh, talk about, you know... Maybe your season might end early. We'll, we'll see what we could uh, discuss with that in Haunt Minute. Jonah the Old Crone has got some Ask the Old Crone information on expanding your business. You know, LLCs, partnerships, and uh, how to do it right, and where you need to go. So that's going to be a great topic and something fun to do. And Meat Hook Jim brings you Between the Corpses, and we're going to solitary confinement with Meat Hook Jim this time. Ooh, that should be torturous. And um, what about the Roundtable of Terror? Well, you know, we've been doing the show 12 years now. We've got to have some classic guests and, you know, somebody really knows the industry. So we thought of Leonard Pickle. That's right, Leonard Pickle joins the ghost to talk about, well, the history of HauntCon, uh, what's going on with the show going forward. Uh, Neat changes in the industry, where things are going and and some of the things that have happened recently. And also, we talk a lot about the biggest pitfall, the thing that every Haunter wants to know more about from new to old, and that's floor plans and some great insight and knowledge with that. So definitely a great episode to enjoy the Roundtable of Terror with uh, Leonard Pickle. Uh, We also got, you know, gruesome giveaway information, all kinds of awesome music, and a few other surprises and, and fun scattered in, in this episode, Big Scary Show, episode 288 begins right now.
1: Great high adventure in the tradition of The Guns of Navarone and the Bridge on the River Kwai spencer tracy frank sinatra the devil at four o'clock two men first met on the island of Talua in the south pacific under the black volcanic shadows of the devil at four o'clock one the island hopping harry the other dunan a holy man
2: where are you from tough guy i hear echoes what's it to you you spit your t's That'll be Jersey. I come from just across the river, Hell's Kitchen. We used to eat punks like you.
1: That's when you had your teeth. Together, they raced against the damnable Devil at 4 o'clock. Spencer Tracy, Frank Sinatra, Volcanic Fury in Columbia Pictures, The Devil at 4 o'clock in Exciting Color. Hi, this is Big Bob Elmore.
0: I played Leatherface and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. And this is a shout-out to The
1: Big Scary Show.
0: Looking to step up your costume? CFX products perform in every environment. Film, haunted attractions, stage shows, theme parks, cosplay, and good old-fashioned Halloween. Created for realism and comfort from the number one company leading the industry for over 16 years, a CFX silicone mask isn't finished until you put it on. Whatever your needs, CFX has you covered with silicone. And once you put it on, you too will agree that a CFX mask will be the most comfortable rubber you'll ever wear. Find your new face today at cfxmasks.com, cfxmasks.com.
4: Broadcasting to you from the darkest regions of the earth. This is a haunt minute, and now with this week's commentary, Storm.
3: All right, so I know not everybody is a fan of sports ball out there, but you know, I I happen to be, and one of my favorite. um, Professional leagues is the National Hockey League, the NHL, and uh, you know, being up here in New England, I'm a big Bruins fan. So this week the Bruins season ended really early. Oh, gee, you know they had so much potential. It was going to be such a, a big season, is somewhere we all hyped up for, and they really had you know a chance to you know go far, go deep in the playoffs and. And really have that successful season, you know, that you want every sports ball team to have uh, that you root for. And uh, no, it, it ended early, and that got me thinking too. You gotta watch his haunts because your season can end early. No matter how much you can anticipate and how good you think it's gonna be, there's always the possibility that your season can end early. And, um, you know, not just outdoor haunts. You know, you'd think at first outdoor haunts are the easiest for that. You could lose a whole weekend to rain very easily, and that could end your season, you know, a week or two early. Uh, It's happened. It it sucks. But, you know, uh, even indoor haunts and stuff are affected by that. Uh, Look at Superstorm Sandy uh, 10 years ago. And that closed a lot of haunts for the last uh, Halloween weekend, and you lost it completely. But there are things that can, uh, you know, shorten your season too that you, you know, just gotta be on the guard and watch for. You know, uh, any other type of calamity or anything. You know, even indoor haunt, you have a pipe burst and that could be the end of your haunt for the year. Oh, God forbid, fire, any haunt is terrible. And then, you know, actor and uh, customer safety. You know, you're, you're, you're one stupid move away from losing your season for the rest of the year because something happened to somebody and, you know, your owners don't want to do it or there's just too much liability. And God forbid if there are other things that go on too. So, you know, keep an eye out and watch your other actors and your customers and try and get them out of the situation before they cause any trouble. Uh, But, you know, just keep in mind, enjoy the haunt every week you do it. Don't wait till the last week to be your best week. You know, get out there and do it because you never know when your season's going in early. Until next time, keep every minute scary.
4: Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute.
0: Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com.
4: Midnight Syndicate into the Valley of Shadows Alive, exclusively on the Big Scary Show.
5: Good evening. My
1: name is Deadfield, the zombie butler. Visit me and
4: all my friends here at vfxcreates.com and check out the new Putrid Pete, the zombie puppet. We have several new products that you might want to see. (laughs) See you soon at vfxcreates.com Music by Midnight Syndicate
3: hello 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 it's crazy bob here from the haunted hydro dark attraction park in fremont ohio and you're listening
1: to none other than the big the scary show (laughs) michael headstrom
4: hall of portraits on the big scary show
0: Spectral Illusions is a digital production studio creating video effects for your home or pro haunt. They carry over 30 stock videos ready for immediate download, as well as USB drives preloaded with multiple effects. In partnership with AAXA Technologies, they now carry projectors preloaded with multiple effects. And now Big Scary Show listeners can get 15% off downloads, USBs, and screens with code BIGSCARY15. Projectors not included. Visit Spectralillusions.com and add some life to your haunt. That's Spectralillusions.com. Hello everyone, this is Drew Badger, and this is Deadline News for Episode 288. And we're going to start off again with some sad news, this time from the Haunted Hollow of Beulah in Valley, Alabama. Haunted Hollow is sad to report that Christy Bird Burdett has passed away from cancer last week at the all-too-young age of 44. She had been a big part of Haunted Hollow since their second year and worked countless hours behind the scenes building, cleaning up, and getting it ready to open. She never missed a workday or a show. In addition, she had been an extra on The Walking Dead for several seasons, usually cast as a walker. She loved it, but she loved her children and family even more. She was selfless and a good friend. Christy is survived by her husband and six children. The Big Scary Show sends its deepest condolences to the family and friends of Christy, Bird, Burdette, and the Haunted Hollow family. And offers up this moment of silence on a lighter note we have this update from the texas haunters convention the texas haunters convention believes in giving back to the community that's why for 2023 they have partnered with yalloween yalloween is a texas-based nonprofit that wants to share its love of halloween They want every kid in Texas to be able to go trick-or-treating without parents worrying about buying a brand new costume. They work with community organizations to provide kids in need with free Halloween costumes. This year, the Texas Haunters Convention has pledged $1 of every attendee ticket sold to be donated to them for their cause. For more information, visit yalloween.com or texashauntersconvention.com. We have this from the Doom Haunted Attraction in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Scream Fest is coming to Doom Haunted Attraction May 19th and 20th from 7 to 11 p.m. If you're going to scream, then scream with us. More information is coming, so check back with updates at their Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Planet Doom Haunt. We have this news from Scare USA Haunted Attraction in Two Rivers, Wisconsin. Welcome to Scare USA's first event of 2023. Celebrate Scare USA's halfway to Halloween, May 19th and 20th with your friends. You and your friends will enter Scare USA in the dark with a flashlight. Arrows will guide your way and some may lead to great prizes. If you want to survive, don't turn off your lights. Warning, this is a pitch-black experience with live actors, music, and fog. This is not as intense as our traditional blackout experience event, but for more information and to purchase tickets, go to ScareUSA.com tickets. We have this news from the Nightmare on 13th haunted attraction in Salt Lake City, Utah. We are open for one night only on May 13th for our Scream Break. Tickets are on sale now. Get them while they last because this is your only chance to get your scare fix in before the fall. Tickets can be purchased on our website at NightmareOn13th.com. We have this news from the Terrified Forest in Pinckney, Michigan. Bloodbash is back. For one night only, May 20th, it's a brand new event created last year for the Brave Ones. We heard you, and we are back, but with added challenges to test how far you can go. Normally our creatures can't touch you, but for this one night the rules have changed. That touch on your shoulder? That feeling you just got on your ankle? That wasn't your imagination. It's a normal haunted night through the woods, but with a twist. The creatures will touch, But not only that, many are excited to share their blood with you, and this year even more challenges have been added. Get ready, because we are. This is an 18 and older event, and IDs will be checked at the door. Get more information and tickets at TerrifiedForest.com We have this from Laurel's House of Horror in Laurel, Maryland. It's our Halfway to Halloween two-night special Haunted House event, plus escape rooms and ghost tours. We're built inside of abandoned movie theater. Laurel's House of Horror presents Halfway to Halloween. Face your fear in a whole new way. Find your way through the cinema complex. Have you visited us before? Don't let that stop you. For this new event, we have added a- upgraded our experiences with more sensory overload, gruesome makeup, interactive characters, and chilling scenes of anticipation around every corner in our 28,000 square foot attraction. Open Friday, May 19th and Saturday, May 20th. Warning, halfway to Halloween will feature very dark areas, strobe lights, blinking lights, and other special lighting effects. Please consider carefully if you have a condition that may prevent you from enjoying this experience. Get more information at laurelhaunt.com. And finally, we have this update from Monster Palooza coming to Pasadena, California. This comes from Bruce Campbell's management. Unfortunately, due to filming commitments, Bruce Campbell regrettably has to cancel his June 3rd and 4th Monster Palooza appearance in Pasadena. We hope Bruce can join us for a future Monster Palooza show. If you have purchased a photo op with Bruce, Celeb Photo Ops will be refunding your money. For more information on Palooza, Monsterpalooza, visit monsterpalooza.com slash spring. Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at show.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News.
1: <laughs> Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let Dark Imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. To see more of our products and services, drop by DarkImaginings.com.
5: Let us help you get ahead of your competition.
0: (laughs) And ladies and gentlemen, it is time to find out if you're listening carefully to the show because it is time for the May gruesome giveaway sponsored by our great friends over at ScreamlineStudios.com. It may be halfway to Halloween, but you better get over to ScreamlineStudios.com and start perusing their fine products to go ahead and beat the rush. Now, you know how this works. I'm going to ask you a question. The answer is in the show. If you think you know that answer, send us an email along with your name and phone number to bsscontest at gmail.com before midnight on May 15th, and you may be eligible or selected to be the winner for the month of May. Now, without further ado, the question for the gruesome giveaway for the month of May is, During the Roundtable of Terror, I happen to mention where and when I taught my very first actor training seminar. Where and when was my first actor training seminar? And there may be more than one answer to a part of that. But if you think you know the answer to that... Email us the answer with your name and phone number to bsscontest at gmail.com before midnight on May 15th, and we will select a random entrant. If you're a previous winner or a family member of the Big Scary Show staff, you are not eligible to win. But good luck, everybody, and thank you to ScreenLine Studios. The Roundtable of Terror is very proudly sponsored by HauntPay. Whether it's time ticketing, virtual queue lines, or anything else related to online ticket sales, have Alex and his staff set you up at HauntPay.com. Ladies and gentlemen, as we start moving into our 12th season, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening out there and thank you to our fine sponsors and thank you to everyone in the haunted attraction industry that has supported us over the years. There are living legends in this industry and we might just have one of them as a guest tonight. You know him, you love him, you hate him. We don't know, we don't care, but he's a fantastic person who has a wealth of knowledge in the industry and has actually helped the Big Scary Show grow over the years. And we'll get into that in a few moments. But we want to welcome to the show the man, the legend, Mr. Leonard Pickle from down, I believe he's in Florida right now. Leonard, how are you, sir?
6: I'm great. How, how do you follow an introduction like that? I don't, I don't.
0: I can retire No, Well, now. you don't. We'll, we'll just keep on introducing and, and figure out questions afterwards. That's well, good. we're going to be talking to Leonard Pickle tonight, a great guest who has, you know, decades of experience in this industry from, from conventions and classes and seminars and building and designing haunted houses and all things haunt-related. But let's also introduce our wonderful hosts. Up
3: in Rhode Island, we have Storm. I'm still excited after a decade of of getting the idea and putting it into our listeners' heads. Hundreds of haunts were open last week for Arbor Day. I'm very excited.
0: You know, you called it, and we bow to your greatness, sir, because you absolutely were correct.
7: Down in Cincinnati, Ohio, we have Meat Hook Jim. Yay! It's uh, what is it now? It's uh, beginning of May, and I went to the halfway Halloween event Saturday.
0: Fantastic. We'll, we'll probably mention that too. Out in Fayetteville, Arkansas, award-winning owner of Banshee Manor, we have the old crone, a.k.a. Jana.
5: I am currently working on a sweet potion to rid us all of allergies.
0: Oh, I will be first in be line great. when it comes to that. My name is Drew Badger in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it is terrible with the allergies here, and somebody today told me that Pollen is nothing more than tree semen. So now I'll never get that mm-hmm. out of my head. But anyway, let's let's wow. not talk about. It. Let's talk to Leonard Pickle here, Leonard. you've been in this business an awful long time. You have seen almost everything. I don't think anybody truly has, but if somebody has come close to seeing everything out there, it is probably you. For people who aren't familiar, maybe you're just getting started in the business or you don't really know, you've heard the name, but you don't really know the man. Tell us a little bit how you got started, what you have been doing, what are you doing currently, the life of Leonard Pickle in you know a few minutes or so.
6: Well, I, I built my first haunted house in a college dormitory at Texas A&M University, where I was studying to be an architect, and went off really well. And we did several haunts there uh, while I was in college, and then I graduated with an architectural degree and started apprenticing in the in the architectural firms in Dallas and. Thought it might be fun to to do a haunted house for profit, um, but I didn't know anything about trying to doing something outside of the dorm. So so I went to uh, uh, the March of Dimes and talked to them about chair about helping them with their event. And um, the uh, it was kind of interesting that they when I called them up they they had already designed the show and they were getting ready. They, the walls were up and they were getting ready to put the room designs in. And they told me that to, they asked me if I wanted to come out and, and talk to them. They had a room that they were they, they couldn't figure out how to build. And when they found out that I was a architect, you know, I was an architectural graduate. They thought, oh, this guy should know how to build it. So they called me up and invited me to this steering committee meeting for the March of Dimes. And, you know, we came in, sat down and and they all started talking about, you know, well, we're, this is what we're going to do in this room. This is what we're going to do in that room. This is what we're going to do in this other room. You know, and and everybody was really excited, and and I didn't really say. They came to the room that they wanted me to build and say, "Do you think you can build this?" I said, "Sure." And uh and then we're and everybody's kind of getting up and putting their coats on and getting ready to leave, and and the staff person, you know, comes, you know, walks over to me and she says, "says so You really didn't say very much about anything during the whole meeting. What do you think about the the concept and everything that we're doing this year?" And I said, "Well, I think all your rooms are backwards." And she says, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, in, in every case." You've got this actor that's coming and scaring the group from the very front. If you do that, you're going to bottleneck yourself all the way out to the parking lot. And so everybody started taking their coats off and we sat down and we and we reversed every room so that the actor came out from the side or from the back, top, the bottom to scare people forward. And, and I'm not really sure where I came up with that concept, except that, you know, of course, I'm a big, big Disney Haunted Mansion fan. And that's and that's something about the, the haunted mansion that that ride never stops. So you and and I knew from what I what I had done in the, the little haunts that I had done uh, in college that you didn't want to stop anybody. You want everybody to keep moving. And so uh, we rearranged everything. I went and built the room for them. And uh, that show did uh, twenty thousand people that year, which was the most that the March of Dimes had ever been able to do. And so they asked me to chair the event the following year.
0: That's impressive for year one.
6: Well, I mean, I had done, you know, I had done some little stuff in college and those, the haunts that I did in college were horrible. I mean, they were visqueen and, you know, it's, I mean, they should have never been allowed to be open. But, uh, but I did, it did teach me, you know, some things about how to scare people. And, you know, I, I, the, one of the mistakes I made was to try to put a soundtrack, a different soundtrack in every room, you know, so that everything, when people went through it, all they heard was mud because all the, every, all the music was fighting each other. So I learned, you know, learned not to do that. Uh, you know, I obviously learned how to, to to scare forward, which is a concept that I kind of came up with um, with the March of Dimes, trying to make sure we're we're pushing people through. And and uh, and I chaired the March of Dimes haunted house for I was a chairman of that event for four or five years. And, and even I even designed several haunted houses for other chapters of the March of Dimes. while I was doing that as a volunteer. And then one year there was a um, Halloween fell on a Saturday night. And we knew we were going to be hammered. We just knew we were going to have more people than we could handle. And so I, I came up with the concept that I called a reverse funnel. The haunted house started off with one pathway. And then it's at a certain point inside the show, we, I split the pathway so that there were two different uh, paths for the people that were going through to go through. You know, And I instructed all my actors, you've got to scare forward, scare forward, scare forward, you know, pop out scare somebody look back to see who the last person that saw you were go back and you know and go back in and not come out again until they until uh, uh, that person passed uh, and then I had people on both sides doing that same thing so we're, we had it ranged so that we could scare a constant line and uh, so we opened the show at seven o'clock you know the parking lot starts filling up the line the queue line starts getting long you know so I gave the I gave the person taking tickets the the, the sign that we had come up with and and she starts taking tickets, and she's taking tickets, and she's taking tickets. And man, I, I'm just looking at, oh my god, that's too fast. But I went to the exit and looked at the people that were coming out, and they were laughing and slapping each other. Oh, you really got scared. So I let it ride. And at 11 o'clock, we the parking lot was empty. Everybody that had that had come that tried to go through the haunted house had had had, uh, had already been through it, and we'd done over 4,000 people. So I I was able to do uh, a thousand people an hour, uh, wow, for the time that we were running, and everybody had a good time and they got to go home early and you know it was it was perfect. I
0: know Haunts who would dream of being able to put a thousand people through in
6: an hour. (laughs) I mean you have to you have to design it for that. I mean you know the, the concept from from architectural my architectural training is it's form follows ever follows function form ever follows function. the function of a haunted house is to scare the crap out of people, obviously, but it's also to make money. And if you're, you know, uh, there's, you know, if you can run by a haunted house and it's got a a mile long line in front of it, that guy's either rich or he's not letting anybody in. You know, if if your capacity is really low, you can't make any money. If you can't make any money, you don't get to play anymore. So everything's a balance with haunting. You can put a haunt in the middle of nowhere and you got to spend a whole lot of money in advertising to get people there. You can put them in, in, you know, downtown where everybody's walking by or driving by, but then that rent's going to be expensive, you know, so, so everything in haunting is a trade-off and, and you just have to decide where you fall, you know, what, what your priorities are and, you know, and, and, and decide on what that, that balancing act is from, you know, between show and, and, um, and capacity or, or, you know, profit really, Um, you know, and luckily with, with the internet and with time ticketing and those kind of things, you, you can run a haunt that, that does a lot fewer people than that. And still, you know, and still make some money, but you know, the, the stuff that they, that they kind of came to come up with recently, like, you know, the alone shows where you send one person in by themselves through a haunted house, that, that capacity is so low. It's almost impossible. To, I mean, unless you can charge 200 bucks a head for that, you know, you're just not going to make any money.
0: Do you think that the majority of haunts are doing it correctly or do you think that, you know, there's only a handful that are, quote, unquote, really doing it
6: right? Well, and there is no right or wrong way to do it. There's, you know, there's the I mean, the way I do haunted houses is is the way it is where my balance is. It's where my you know, where I feel comfortable with the capacity, you know, and, and it's not like I rip people off. I give people a show. I just want to give them a show on the run. They, they can stay in there as long as they want to. Most of them don't want to stay any longer than they have to. So, you know, because we're I mean, we're. I'm practically chasing them through the haunted house, you know, by scaring them forward. And then my, I also designed my haunts with the, um, the scares are closer together towards the end of the show as they are in the beginning. So the hallway between the rooms is longer before they, uh, at the beginning of the show than they are at the end. So again, I'm accelerating the scares, you know, to help alleviate uh, bottlenecks, help you know, push people through the haunt, but also to keep the, the group separate so that they're not running into each other. And it's just, I mean, you just have to decide. You can't really say somebody's doing it wrong or somebody's doing it right. You know, if they've got it through code and they've got it open and it's scaring people and people are having a good time, I think it's a great haunt, you know. But I do think that there are a lot of haunted houses are running on, I mean, the average haunted house probably runs on a 200, 300 person per hour uh, capacity. And and I kind of put a, a pencil to it. and Unless you're doing, unless you're, if you're trying to get, 20,000 people through your event in five weekends, Friday and Saturday only, which is really the big days to be open. Um, you're you, you're going to have to hit at least a five to 700 people per hour, you know, capacity and you're not going to need it for long and you're only, you only need it once or twice on, you know, on the busy nights. But if you can't hit that number, then you're not going to be able to hit that 20,000 mark without, without adding nights. And, you know, haunted house is a date thing. People go to, to a haunted house on Friday and Saturday. There may be some people you can drag in on a Friday or on a Thursday or maybe on a Sunday, but really your bulk is, is Friday and Saturday. And you really kind of, you know, it's, it's inefficient to run on a, on a Thursday or a Sunday where you're only going to get four hours instead of five hours because you're going to close earlier. Your actors got to go home early. You know, it's it's um, it just makes it harder to to make it worthwhile to be open for that on those off on those off nights. So until you've maxed out your Friday and Saturday, there's really no reason to be open on, the, on a Sunday or a Thursday. If the, the Sunday of, of uh, you know, before Columbus Day, that's a good night to be open because because the, the, uh, at least the schools are closed. But really, you're talking Friday and Saturday, you know, and your attendance is exponential towards Halloween. So so you really should start as early as you can in the middle of September, Friday, Saturday, start, start on a Saturday because Friday is usually, um, you know, a lower attended because of football. So start on a Saturday and then run Friday and Saturday through the first Saturday in November. Um, you know, and if you sell out, you know, some nights, then you can think about adding, um, adding some, some nights, you know, towards the end. And that's where time ticketing comes in and time ticketing is, is huge, I think, because it gives people an opportunity to realize, you know, what their capacity is so that they can make sure that they're not selling more tickets than they can handle. Um, you know, and, and people thank you for it because they can make plans around when they're going to go through the haunt. You know, somebody shows up at a haunted house and there there's a four-hour wait. It doesn't matter how cool that haunted house is. People are pissed. So, you know, the, the ability to just show up, you know, on a, in a time block, be able to get through the haunt and then go, you know, to extracurricular activities is is, is huge. And it, it really increases people's, you know, appreciation for what you're doing. I was, I was after I'd done that thousand person an hour thing, somehow universal studios got wind of that and they, um, and they reached out to me. And so in the nineties, early nineties, I designed 200 houses for universal and we actually built those. I I had started after I apprenticed with the March of Dimes for four or five years, I started entrepreneurs. Um, and really it was just a haunt. I mean, I, I opened my first haunted house on credit cards and pocket change and, you know, literally, uh, big borrowed and stole everything I could find, have borrowed and made, you know, made friends and relatives to help me do this thing. And we built this show, ran it for, for the month of October. And, you know, when all, when everything was said and done, I was about $20,000 in debt, which I thought was a huge failure because a haunted house is a good, rich quick scheme, right? Um, you know, <laughs> no a haunted house is a business, just like any other, if it was that easy to make money at it, there'd be a whole lot more people doing it, at least doing it better than they are. And, um, you know, so, um, so I thought I'd, I'd done a horrible job and but I had so many people coming to me wanting me to design haunted houses for them. Uh, it was actually my dad's idea to, 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 to start a company that kind of utilized my architectural degree and, and design haunted houses for people instead of uh, doing them for myself. which in reality and looking back on it was a huge mistake. I, I would have made way more money throughout my life if, if I had you know stayed with uh, doing my own haunted houses you know, but you know, I'm a, I'm the big designer. I'm not an operations guy. I really, I enjoy the design I enjoy watching people go through my haunts, do my designs, but I really, you know, when October rolls around, I'm off seeing other people's haunted houses. I I travel the countryside. It's one thing that I've done really since the very early days of the March of Dimes is travel the countryside, you know, looking, going through every haunted house I can find. And I typically do, uh, you know, 200 attractions in a season uh, trying to, you know, see what everybody else is doing, you know, kind of keep my finger on the pulse of the, of the industry. And, and, uh, and I just love going through haunted houses. So it's, it's always fun to see, uh, see what people are doing.
0: I was going to mention that, uh, Jonna, I know your haunted house is a smaller haunt without getting too technical or, or too exact. What kind of numbers do you run through in a typical hour or evening?
5: are such a small haunt um, max we do 350 to 400 a night um we actually i'm open on sundays and i promote the fact that i'm open on sundays uh, particularly to the other haunted attractions to service industry workers who you know we're in a i'm in a college town so there's a lot of people who can't ever get out to a haunted attraction because they always have to work friday and saturdays so my Sundays are usually, the first one's kind of slow, but especially the one before Halloween is usually pretty a pretty good night. I, I you know, I end up in the black on, on those Sunday nights, which is, you know, the goal. Um, I do want to ask you though, I just started doing virtual queue the last few years. Um, I've never done a VIP thing because I didn't feel like I had that big of a demand for it. But in listening to what you said about know people getting upset whenever they get there and there's a you know two hour wait wait or something my haunt is in a family fun park so there's video games and go-karts and miniature golf and other things to do you know while they're waiting that's you know one of the reasons the virtual queue works so well for me Hmm. but what about combining a time ticketing for a few dollars more than you know if you time ticket my ticket price is thirteen because it is a small hunt. So if I said, "Hey, you know, buy your tickets now," if you want a reserved time, then it's fifteen dollars a person. If you want to just, you know, first come first serve, then it's thirteen. Do you think I could combine something like that?
6: Um, sure, try it. Um, you know, you'd have to, you know, with when, with time ticketing, you you max out. You, you decide how many people you can do at every fifteen or thirty minute increments. And then you sell those hours out. In fact, when I when I post my tickets, the the first thing I do is is sell out nine o'clock um, throughout you know Friday throughout the run. I sell out Friday night at nine at nine o'clock is sold out because that's why everybody seems like they want to come. So and that's to prime the pump. So when people look at tickets and they're trying to buy their tickets, they say, "Oh man, I was going to go at nine and it's sold out. I better get my eight my nine thirty or my eight thirty tickets now." It primes the pump. And and so you'll know before you ever arrive on site how many people that you're going to have that night. Um, and if that night is sold out, that's a good thing, because now you have exactly how many people you can handle for the time that you're going to be there. You're not going to be there till midnight or three o'clock in the morning trying to get the, the last group in. And that sold out weekend, you know, makes it something that's that's more valuable. It makes people think about going on in November or make it make some think about you could always you could be open Sunday if you know that you're that you've already if you're really close to selling Friday and Saturday night out then, then open Thursday or Sunday um, so that, so that you can handle that extra capacity. But um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you the, the problem with doing any kind of a hybrid, I think, would be that, you know, you just have to make sure that you're not upsetting your, your time taking people that they know what time. Uh, they're going to be there and be able to get in. And if you've sold out that hour, you know, and somebody shows up and is, is trying to, you, you just have to figure out. I mean, it'd almost be like you're, you're due time ticketing up until 11. And then from 11 to midnight, then you can uh, take anybody, take walk ups and that, and that kind of thing. Um, okay. And if
5: you don't sell out, then if anybody shows up, say, you know, well, yeah, we have a day 30, a minute. sure. 30 minutes and just. Well, put them and in
6: and that's what you would do anyway. I mean, if 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 you're doing time ticketing, the concept of time ticketing is you everybody goes to your website to buy a ticket. They have okay. to go to your website before they get there. If they show up and they haven't bought a ticket, you you show them a QR code which takes them to your website so that they can buy a ticket. And then then the concept being that if they if you're sold out that hour, they either have to wait until they can get a ticket, or they can do a or they can do a VIP. You always hold out a percentage for uh, you know, for almost immediate access or a VIP ticket. So now for them to go, uh, in now, you know, and shortly they would have to pay the additional fee for a VIP. Um, but you know, it it may be sold out all night, but if it's sold out for the next couple of hours, it gives them an opportunity, you know, unless you're paying charge of the parking for them to go and go find a, you know, go to, go get, go get something to eat or go do something else and come back, you know, all of that's
5: available there at my venue.
6: Right. Right, and, and in your situation, because I mean, you kind of want people hanging around, so yeah. you know, and your that's a completely different situation than you know a standalone haunted house in the middle of nowhere or, or you know in a downtown area. Um, but even I've even done that. I've even you know gone up and and seen the line line was long, and you know gone to get something to eat or drink and done and got back in line um, to do that. So I mean, it yeah, I mean it it, it it's a but, but you can still do that, even with time ticketing. Um, you know, you can tell them to get there 30 minutes early before their, before their, their time is, is uh, that they purchased, and, and that'll make them hang around, and hopefully they'll hang around afterwards. You know, it, it's interesting. You look at the, the amusement parks that are doing Halloween events, and there's a whole segment of people that go to Halloween Horror Nights or, or Knott's Berry Farm just to ride the rides they hate halloween they don't They don't like they don't go to the haunted houses at all they're there because the lines for the for the uh rides are so short um but it's pretty rare i, I think i don't know i mean junkie public he might especially at, at universal where you can't even get through all the haunted houses in one night um unless you'd be by vip you can it would be a situation where they're and they they do they go through a couple hundred houses they get tired of waiting in line and then they'll they'll go ride rides but but I think in most cases, you know, it's two different things. People either are either there to ride the rides or they're there to go do the haunted house. And I would be surprised if there's as much mixing as you think. I mean, if, if they're there and there's a, I mean, you know, and, and the other thing about time ticketing is, I mean, if you have a three hour, if you've got a two hour wait in line, people are not going to get out of that line. You can't, you can't sell them anything to drink. You can't you know, convince them to go to an escape game, you can't do anything. They're in line and they don't want to get out of line because they have a loser place. You know, if it was a time ticketing situation, then they can walk around and and, uh, and do other things while they're waiting for their time to
5: come. Yeah, with the virtual queue they can do that too. True. But True. with the virtual queue it's they, they could buy their ticket in there or they could buy it in advance. But Ooh. it's still when you check in first come, first serve.
6: Okay. But it's still, if you have way more people than you can handle, buy a ticket at nine o'clock, then there's, you know, then they're, you know, and, and again, if, if they're if they're excited about going and playing match of golf, okay. But if they're not, they just got, they just came there for the haunt or like me, they're trying to hit your haunt and hit three or the others haunts that night, you know, they're gonna, not going to be happy. Okay. But I mean, again, there are more ways to scare people than there are people willing to be scared. So there is no right or wrong answer. Try it. If you like it, great. If you don't, try something else. You know, the, the newest thing in ticketing is is dynamic ticketing. To where if you buy your your tickets to your haunt in, you know, in January, then they're cheap. But you, you buy them on, on Halloween night and you can't, you know, you, they're really, really expor- expensive. And so, and that, you know, it's the same way a concert or a air, airlines or whatever, that's the way they sell tickets with dynamic ticketing. And there are a lot of there are several hundred houses that are doing that and are really excited about it because their their bottom line is raised substantially. I don't like that as much as I do with uh, with the time ticketing because I because I kind of feel like you're gouging people when you know the price is going high and but it does the same thing. It keeps people that from it keeps you know, from just having massive a number showing up just from the pricing uh, if you do it right so that that your price goes up and that decreases the number of people willing to buy a ticket. And supposedly would would help you keep those lines down, um, but I'm a fan of time ticketing. Yeah, I've been know. for a long time. It was really COVID that that, that pushed people into doing it. I, I did a seminar at Tarantula. God, I don't know how long ago that um, about that time ticketing was the future of the haunt industry, and uh, it took COVID for for uh, to get people to actually you know be forced into trying it. And now most of them love it. I mean, the people that are doing it are. Are continuing it so something that's coming that a lot of people are doing and i think it'll that'll continue because it's just Uh, more convenient for the people buying the tech
0: i i am not familiar with dynamic pricing that's interesting i i don't know of any haunts in my area that do that and uh, i would guess if you bought tickets in january you're also taking the risk because i am i'm assuming that there are haunts that probably selling that in january and february that may not open that season they may not pass code. They may have issues. In
3: January
6: another... January was an exaggeration. I mean, oh, okay, you know, like I don't, I, I maybe I don't know. If, uh, I've know seen that...
0: pre-sales maybe three or four months. I think right. I think the earliest pre-sales that I see are like June, July. You know, buy your VIPs now for this sure. price or something. But you know, yeah,
6: that was that was an exaggeration. And what okay. i was just saying is that the further out you buy the ticket from, the cheaper it is. And then it, and, and then that, but that. And, but the more pit tickets are sold, the higher the price goes. That's why it's dynamic. And, uh, you know, and that and, and those the haunts that are doing that are almost open every night because now Monday is dirt cheap. You know, so if you can't afford to go on Sunday or Saturday, you can go on Monday and it's less expensive because there are fewer people that bought tickets on Monday. Uh, a lot of those haunts are open for open uh, every day.
0: I wonder how risky that is if you sell out at 9 o'clock on Saturday with tickets bought in June for, say, $20, as opposed to if you didn't have them on sale, then they're paying 35 and selling out. You're kind of losing a little money there. There is,
6: no, there is no sellout. They don't sell out. They don't okay. sell out. Well, not they're yet. Anyway, somebody
0: will at some point. <laughs> Maybe.
6: No, you put no. them in line. You you put them in line with you know and and so there's a guy that spent sixty bucks on a ticket and a guy that spent twenty bucks on a ticket and they're in line side by side. You just hope they don't talk to each other because that would be <laughs> that would not be good.
0: that, but, that you know, probably wouldn't. You know, I, I so guess I mean, fights it's, breaking
6: out. <laughs> you know, well, I don't know about that, but no, yeah, the people that are using it, the people that are, there there aren't very many, but there are few people that are using it are swearing by it and that it dramatically increases their bottom line. You know, that's kind of what we're here for is to increase our bottom line.
3: And well, Badger, your, your example would work if you were going to sell a thousand tickets either way. You know, the, the thing is, the night of, you're taking more of a risk of less people showing up. So yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. why the dynamic really works with that and the, the numbers increase. And then, you know, marketing wise, um, you know, everybody talks, oh, the best marketing is word of mouth. No word of mouth is going to go faster than a sellout for a night. You you sell out one night in your haunt, guess what? You're going to double up on your uh, weekend before and after the next year because people are going to see that happens there and they're going to say, you know, the, the whole fear of missing out uh, goes in there. So dynamic ticketing and time ticketing can, you know, become part of your marketing strategy just within that. You you show a sellout and you're going to get more sales.
6: Right. Yeah, that's why I sell out at nine o'clock when I first put my tickets up. And then I can decide, you know, as that night starts filling up, I can decide, okay, I can open that up and now sell those tickets, sell that slot. Or I can give my guys a break, you know, give them, give them a little bit of time to relax in the middle of the night before they go for the rest of the, get the rest of the run. Um, you know, I can make that, and I can make that decision on the fly. And it primes the pump. It gets people buying tickets before before they would normally. And, when, and the other thing about time ticketing is that money is in your pocket before they ever even get in the car. Oh, man, it's drizzling. It may, be, it may be wet there. We already got tickets. We might as well go. You know, it's it's, uh, it's it's cash in hand in the bank before before anybody ever even heads your direction, which is great.
0: I do want to remind you, you are listening to the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show with our very special guest, Mr. Leonard Pickle, our regular host. We're going to take a very short break here to hear a very fine sponsor who actually knows a little bit about time ticketing and will be. Right back.
4: Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free.
0: And we're back to the Round Table of Terror with our very special guest star, Mr. Leonard Pickle, all our regular hosts. And Leonard, it's been almost 20 years Since a little convention popped up in the uptown area of Charlotte with the name HauntCon attached to it, I was literally working two blocks away from where you were holding it, and I did not attend. I was like, (laughs) what's this? I, I should go to this thing. I think I may have had plans. I don't remember. But, oh my gosh, that was... That was one of my bigger regrets not attending that the first year because I know I would have gotten so much more into the industry at the time. I was working as a scare actor at the time at Scarrowwinds. but when you you started that and you kind of set the bar for you know haunt conventions as opposed to trade shows or or otherwise you know West Coast was not a thing yet. I think Midwest started the same year, but you you were before then. There was no East Coast, well, be, which became national. There was no Canadian. Ironstock was more of a gathering. East Coast Haunt Club was more of a gathering. I don't really know of any quote-unquote haunter conventions that were going on before HauntCon.
6: Yeah, there was an Ohio gathering, I think. There, was, there were several gatherings. Actually, there was a Halloween Convergence, too, was, a, was another gathering. And we were doing a May gathering. We had a deal for a while where we were just showing up someplace. We did it in Myrtle Beach when... When, we had, uh, when I had a haunted house there and we did it in uh, Natural Bridge one year. So we were, I mean, it, we built up to Hong Kong. We didn't do it all at once. In fact, we used to have a costume ball at Transworld uh every year, which was really a blast. We, we had a great time there. And we did some, we did bus tours too. There were uh, one year there was a Jekyll and Hyde um, company had come in and done a restaurant in downtown Chicago. And we bused people from Transworld over to that It had a haunted house in it um, to see that. And we did several dinners and, and that kind of stuff for, for people at, at World even, even before Hong Kong, um, uh, got okay. started. So we, we kind of, we kind of did all of the pieces separately and, um, you know, and then at some point we decided to, to put all that in one basket and, and call it Hong Kong, which is, is actually an acronym for the Haunted Attraction National Trade Show and Convention. Um, and the U is, is a throwback to, so chips remember the the tv show chips that yep. I had it was a, the i was lowercase because it was wasn't as wasn't part of the acronym so RU you is lowercase in the, the name for that for that very reason
0: and and i love the fact that you traveled around the country and you know one year you were in milwaukee the next year you were in orlando the next year you were in louisville then you were in pittsburgh and i think you were in dallas and you know just The big question was always, "Where's HauntCon going to be next?" And you always announced it, usually right on the Sunday that you closed. Right. You know, I I think my first show was Milwaukee in two thousand nine, and you know that was that was just a lot of fun. You know, I had gone to Midwest in two thousand eight, and that was my first Haunters Convention, and I had a blast at that. So I was like, well, let's try. 2009 and haunt Con of milwaukee never been to milwaukee so that was it was kind of an opportunity to visit new places and you still saw some familiar friends and you still saw some vendors and you still got to do some really cool tours and, and attend some great classes and everything
6: yeah haunt tours was our big thing I and mean, that's the reason we moved was to go see haunted houses and, and we got to see haunted houses like rocky point and you know some other very very famous haunted houses that are gone now uh because we were able to you know, to, to t- convince them into letting us do an off-season tour and, and see their event. And, you know, and it was great. I mean, it really was, you know, and, and our goal was to grow the industry. That's what we were trying to do was to grow the industry because, you know, we knew that the, the people, there, there, there were a lot of people going to Transworld, but there weren't, a, there weren't as many people as there were haunters. And for us to be able to, to go city to city and introduce people in that city to how cool it is to go to a, to a haunt convention... Um, you know, it was it was something that we were trying to do to grow the industry, and and we did that. We you know we were watching, but it, we grew the industry and we grew the other shows, but we didn't grow Hong Kong. Hong Kong kind of stayed the same size no matter where we went, whether it was uh, Denver one year or if it was or it was uh, you know Orlando. We the show kind of stayed the same size while we watched Trans World and we watched Midwest Honors Convention. You know, their rock their their numbers started rocketing. Um, you know, because we were introducing people, you know, to what how cool it is to go to a hunt convention, and then we disappear. You know, and they'd say, "Well, we wow, it's clear clear across the country. We're not going to go to that this year. Where else could we go?" And you know, I, I honestly think that we, we dramatically built the size of Transworld and Midwest. I know Midwest for sure. We we kept we kept having a show around them. We have it in Louisville. We have it, you know, someplace else that were that was near them. You know, and, and then we would watch their attendance grow. So I mean, it, it was it was good for the industry. I, I think, you know, and, and, you know, Hong Kong is, is, uh, is back, you know, we're back. Um, I sold my interest in Hong Kong 2016, I think. And, um, um, and the reason for that was you know, we were struggling with it. Um, it was, um, you know, and, and we weren't, we are were not convention people, you know, I, I started a magazine uh, called Kong attraction magazine way back. And, you know, I wasn't, I'm no editor by any shape of the imagination, but, but we were able to do that for a while. And so I sold it. And the guy that I sold it to ran it into the ground, uh, you know, and, and then so we started this convention, you know, did, did OK with it, you know, but we never we just never could grow with it. I thought, surely if we, we hired a, uh, a convention company that knew what they were doing, they could, you know, take it to bigger things and, and do stuff that we could never do with it with deep pockets. And and they just left it in New Orleans for you know four or five years, which 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 killed its ability to tour and go see other haunted houses. So it, it you know kind of ran that into the ground and and then fair Expo popped up and and uh, Doug Sheldon was was you know talking about doing this event and I volunteered to, to help him with the education and um you know and we were very successful year one and I, we doubled our numbers our attendance numbers from for this year year two um, and then come to find out you know Doug has purchased Hong Kong from from uh, uh, from the Halloween and party Expo people and and, you know, now we're doing, now Hong Kong is back. I mean, it, it kind of, it, we were, Hong Kong was supposed to move to Dallas, which would have been huge for it, um, but uh, COVID hit. And so that all, you know, went by the wayside. And and then they moved the Halloween Party Expo show to Las Vegas, which, you know, we had already seen when Transworld went to Las Vegas, how devastating that was to the show. So we I, you know, I told them, do not take Hong Kong to, to Vegas. That That'll just kill it. It was already a life support anyway. But Doug is, you know, reading your life into it. You know, we, we kind of co hosted the, uh, the show at, uh, at Fear Expo with Hong Kong. Uh, and now Hong Kong's is going to go off and do its own thing. And, and the, the, uh, the goal is to, the plans for it are that it's going to move city to city again. It's going to be moving around, um, you know, like the old Hong Kong did. And, and hopefully that will get us back to where we were. Our, our education where Hong Kong was always just stellar. I mean, we people would just rave about our education. And it was weird because we didn't we never paid anybody. We never paid our speakers. We just, you know, opened the doors and let people come and speak. And, you know, we we try to point them in the right direction. But one of the things that, that Hong Kong was was an incubator. You know, we incubated new speakers. People that had never spoken before had an opportunity to speak at Hong Kong you know, get their legs underneath them, realize how much fun it is and how good they were at it, you know, and then they went on to speak at Transworld or Midwest or some of the other conventions. Um, So we incubated uh, speakers, we incubated uh, vendors, you know, people that were, that had a product they were thinking about trying to do, they couldn't afford a booth at Transworld, you know, they would come to Hong Kong and, and try out the waters and see whether people were interested in their product or not. And some of them went on to do, You know, huge stuff in the industry and now got four or five booths at at Transworld every year. So and and we incubated our our exhibitor, our our attendees as well. You know, people would come and take the education year after year after year at Hong Kong. And one of the mistakes we made with Hong Kong was we we got that we got we got everybody up to this to a certain level of education. And but we never went further than that. We never created, you know, kind of a master class, you know, some kind of an, an education level that was, you know, over and above. You know because we weren't paying speakers we we kind of and we kind of got everybody up to a level but we never took them to the next level and that's something that we're planning to do with with the new haunt con that that's going to be a big thing that we're we're pushing towards is we're going to we're going to pay speakers and we're going to bring in people that you know are are going to take the haunts that we've brought up to a certain level to the next level and go further with that so we're looking forward to that it's going to be the the first weekend in February in, in 2024, and uh, you know I'm down here in Orlando talking all the haunts and looking for some cool stuff to tour. Uh, so we'll definitely have a, a, a pre-show tour, all-day pre-show tour, and then have several other uh, uh, tours uh, throughout the throughout the weekend as well. So we're going to get to see some cool haunts, uh, see some cool stuff that isn't haunts, uh, then uh, and also uh, you know in the education we're, we're planning on taking the education to the next level. And we're learning from some of the cool stuff that, that Fear Expo has done, you know, with the um, um, the kind of speed dating kind of marketing stuff, or the networking stuff that we, we did at Fair Expo. Uh, we're going to we're going to implement that into in Hong Kong as well, which which really has been a huge, um, hugely popular. So we're looking forward to that as well.
0: I want to, uh, firstly, I want to personally thank you, because here's your fun fact of the day. The very first class I ever taught at a convention was at HauntCon 2011 in Louisville, Kentucky. It was the, I think the topic was how to make the best of your acting ability with the tools that you have, you know, kind of haunting on a budget. And ironically enough, when I saw your class at Fear Expo, you were talking about how to bring out the best scares for as little as possible for, you know, with what you had. So, you know, I, we've kind of come this full circle. And (laughs) since I've taught, since I taught at Haunt Con in Louisville, you know, I taught at the Canadian Haunted Attractions Conference. I've taught at Midwest Haunters. I've taught at West Coast. I've taught at Scare LA and, you know, haunted houses from California to Florida to Canada. So, you know, you know, you were an incubator for me and my company rabbitbadger.org, by the way and uh to this day i am still doing actor training and and using some of the techniques i taught all the way back in 2011 so yes you were an incubator indeed and i think jim and i both co-taught along with a couple of other people at the pittsburgh show in 2012 when you had a cancellation and you kind of needed an immediate class. And we just kind of did a Q line acting class with characters that we were using at the various haunts we were working at. I think Tater was involved. I think Jackie was involved. I think uh, Katie Lane might've been involved in that. I'm not sure. Here's and some-, some other folks.
7: Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, right before that class, I got, I got to teach my first class at, at a con uh, with my basic, scare acting class which was right before that empty block and you know it was just like we threw it together in a matter of minutes and we did the cue line acting class
0: and it was quite successful a lot of people were there and a lot of people actually enjoyed it it was kind of a um here's a bunch of cue line actors we all scare and act in different ways any questions and then everybody kind of went off and did their own thing for a couple minutes and menaced the people in the audience and and people started asking questions and it was really kind of neat
6: yeah. Yeah. There was, it was so weird that every once in a while at, at, at Hong Kong, we would just have a, a guy that, you know, that's supposed to be speaking and he hasn't picked up his badge yet. And I'd call him on the phone and he's just like, he says, You've, uh, Are you in town? There's your, your seminars later this afternoon. He says, Oh, no, I'm not coming. It's just like, Oh, really? Well, that would have been nice to let me know before now. You know, so there were several times that we had had some holes that we had to fill. There was one that was psychology of fear. I, don't, I can't even remember who the guy was, but he was going to do a class on psychology of fear. And, and, you know, I get this call, such and such didn't show up for their class. And so I go running in there and, you know, I let everybody know what the other classes were that were going on at that time. And, and um, uh, so that they could go and see something else if they wanted to. And I said, but I'll sit here and talk about psychology of fear. And, and I just kind of winged it for the hour that was that that we, that we had. And, and I've since then written a, you know, a pretty extensive uh, seminar on that. And I, I give that fairly often. In fact, I'm giving it at the, at the uh, Southeast Hallows thing. That's next weekend. Um, so I'm going to do that, that seminar there. And what's interesting about it is, you know, that's one of those seminars where, you know, I just, I keep seeing cool stuff and I was like, Oh, well, this would be great to add to my seminar. And so I throw it in a file, throw it in a file, throw it in a file. Pretty soon, you know, and you get to a point where oh, you're giving that seminar, so you go back in and dig that stuff up and and add, you know, value to that to that seminar that I've been giving for many years, uh, but it's got a whole bunch of new stuff in it because because you know, there's always new new ideas, new concepts, and and new information that pops up, new studies on on. How, I mean, they actually did a study on why and how people get scared in haunted house. Some somebody in in Europe did this massive study about that, so. So I went and grabbed all that information, too. So it's kind of cool.
0: So you said HauntCon is going to be traveling. Is it going to stay in February? And if it is, does that mean it's going to stay in the southern half of the U.S. as it was when it was going on in January?
6: Correct. Yeah, it's going to have to stay south in, unless we move it to to earlier in the year. And As of now, my understanding is that it will stay in January or January, February. Okay. So it'll have to be south or California be fun.
0: It would be any uh questions for leonard at this time
5: i want a brief explanation of your forgive me is it the the triangle thing that you use for floor plans the grid is that what it's
6: called triangular grid system
5: yes please explain that to me
6: well i mean when you're when you're getting ready to design a a haunted house and you're looking at this big white sheet of paper you know there that it can be anything and um you know, I, I was uh, building haunted houses for the March of Dimes and, and I think it was like 1980 and they uh, they came up with this great new concept which was instead of stick building everything and, and sheeting it in plywood and then when the show was over taking it apart which was nails at that time there were screws taking the whole thing apart and throwing two by fours and plywood in, into the back of a trailer and trying to do the same thing with it the following year. What if we built four by eight panels and then just attached them to each other to create the, the pathway for the haunt. So that was the brand new thing. And I think it was, I think it was 1980 that was, uh, that, that kind of changed the industry really for, um, although every once in a while, I'll see somebody even now that said that I look at that. I said, that's not panelized. Either. He says, Oh no, we built it just like a house. It's like good luck changing it, but, uh, or moving it if you need to. But, um, so yeah so that was the brand new concept and, and i had just graduated from college in 80 and started working with the Marshall dimes and they'd come up with this concept of, of panels and of course the panel is four feet wide so when you look when you think about okay we're going to make a floor plan and instead of you know free in it because we're we're stick building it we're going to make it in four foot increments so everybody was doing a square grid four by four by four square grid and then they were setting panels on that and creating the pathway well i just graduated from your architecture school in college and they had taught us in college that uh two things one triangles are stronger than squares because if you take three boards and you put a nail in the corner of each one of those it won't rack it doesn't go anywhere you take four boards and put a nail in each corner you have to put a diagonal in there just to make it solid so if you did a triangular grid instead of a square grid now your bracing would be easier and it would be more solid uh, and then the other thing they came up with or they taught me in Architecture school is that uh, there's a thing called field theory, and uh, at the time the guy that was that was uh, that was teaching it was still alive and was was teaching in in uh, Chicago. I wish I'd have thought about it long enough to go and, and, and see some of the stuff that he that he was doing. But it's called field theory, and what you would do is you would take you would take squares and you would rotate them. He would make smaller squares and rotate those, and then he would put them put them underneath his sheet, because we were drawing with a pencil back then, put them underneath his sheet and he would use those shapes to create a space that was more interesting than just making everything square. Uh, and he called that field theory. So my adaption of the triangular grid versus a square grid and, you know, putting running that underneath my sheet to create um, uh, a triangular grid system uh, was, uh, was, that's how that's how I came up with it. We, we did that for the first time in I think it was in 81 in, uh, with one of the March of Dimes uh, houses in, in Dallas. And the first thing we noticed is that the, uh, the, uh, the fact that the, those panels are four inches thick. And when you have those meet at a goofy angle that's not 90 degrees, it becomes, you know, there's big cracks and holes in it. So we used the volunteer labor that we had and took every one of our panels apart and laid the two by four flat in the wall. So, and most of them had plywood on both sides. If they didn't, if they don't have plywood on both sides, then we put little corner uh, brackets of plywood, gusset plates on the back to, uh, to make up for that. And so the two by fours are not attached to each other. They're, it's just the plywood that holds everything together. And it actually is a much stronger uh, panel than what you can uh, what you can build if you stud it out like an actual wall. And the added advantage of being able to store two of those in the same space as one, you know, normally studded panel. So it took half the space to store the walls as it did if you're using a four inch thick wall versus a two inch thick, you know, two by four with plywood on both sides. So it, um, you know, and when, when I first started doing it, you know, again, this is before screws. So we were using plumbing strap and, and roofing nails to nail this thing together. Um, and then when this, you know, and, and you're doing it with the march of dimes with volunteers and and it was it was really kind of a mess it was hard to take apart and then when the when when screws came in when the when for the screw gun came in that really set us off um you know and i use a a21 simpson strong tie which is a bracket that you buy at home depot and we bend it out to 120 degrees and and use that to screw the panels together and then they're braced across the top but i don't brace with two by fours i brace with one by threes. Uh, one by fours. I've even braced, I've even braced, I braced the show one time with one by twos just because I had them, uh, because those braces are in, are in tension. They're not in compression. So you don't really need the width. I, I even braced a, ca- a haunted house with cable one time, uh, in Canada. Um, so I mean, it's, you're able to brace that very easily because everybody's pushing out on the walls. Nobody's from the outside pushing in. So everything's in tension. Um, so that two by three is, is, is smaller to store. It's thinner, it's cheaper than a two by four, and it's a whole lot easier to screw through. So um, we brace it with, with that, and then we use those to run the electrical and all kinds of stuff across the top. And what we really do is, is we complete the grid with the braces, one by three bracing, we complete the grid. So now you have a giant truss that's laid out across the top of all the, the walls, and that keeps the top from moving. The bottom is a little more, is a little more apt to, to move. So we lay carpet down first, and then set the panels on top of the carpet. Like the panels will seat down into the carpet a little bit to help them stay in place. And if you've got a spot that we that a wall keeps moving out at the bottom because there's a scare there and body people are body slamming it or something, then we just add a door frame or or add a you know a piece of one-by- or plywood or something on the floor to, to keep that thing in place. Um, but it's a very strong system. You can't beat it. It it, it it's the cheapest way to build the panel, it's the fastest way to build a panel. It's the cheapest way to set up a haunted house. It's the fastest way to set up a haunted house, um, and there's there's all there's plenty of information on my website that you can search around for articles about it that that you can learn how to do it for yourself.
5: I that's believe what that I've been was... using for eight years.
6: Oh, you've been using it. <laughs>
5: well, going on the eighth year, yes. Nice. That's a, it's a temporary installation, and so that's what we do. Is okay. I have you know these huge stacks of panels in my garage. And they get loaded up every year and yeah that's exactly what what i do that's how i build yeah. my aunt.
6: it's brilliant for it's brilliant for a hunt that you have to take that up and put back up every year because it stores nicely um and you know i don't have the guns to be able to pick up before you know I typically I, I just don't have the arms for it to pick that up but if you walk up to one of those panels backwards and reach around and grab a hold of the panel and use your legs to pick it up and set it on your hips you can carry that thing around all day long. In my youth, I could carry two of them. Uh, can't do that anymore, but you can carry those panels around all day long without you know, without ever getting sore or dropping anything. Um, well,
5: I'm I'm the old crone, and I do get sore, but I can carry them. I can move them.
6: Yep, uh, you back up but... to them and use your use your hips and use your legs mm-hmm. to pick it up, and your hips to carry it. Man, yeah. it's, it's brilliant. And you know. I, I never build anything bigger than four by eight because I know I'm going to be the only one there tearing it down at some point. So I, I make sure that it's something that I can that I can manhandle so that I uh, can can get it apart and in the truck. And, and that's what's nice. That's another thing that's nice about the, the triangular grid system if you use the brackets because you know if you when you're when you're using a, tip, a more typical two by four studded wall, you know people are putting those together with giant you know, three inch screws and you know you're taking the thing apart and you've got you think you've got all the screws out of it and you're not sure why it's it's still standing you know sometimes it's the paint i mean in wet paint will it works like glue so sometimes it'll stick itself together and so you say well let's just pry it apart and see and and sure enough there was a screw that you missed and you split the two by and that just is just a nightmare if you put everything together with these brackets take the bracing off take the brackets off and you know it's coming apart without uh, without any problem. Even even when I screw through a wall into something on the other side, sometimes I'll just lay a flat bracket on there and, and put a screw through it so that people know that that screw's supposed to come out.
5: Well, what I do right. is um, like my facade stays the same. Right. It, but I change the, you know, inside of that around. But um, my facade, because it's got the... Sorry, oh, my health not working. To... To keep the pattern of the stones and everything for my castle is they're actually numbered. Right. So every year they go down and they're in order. And whenever we go to put them up, we know exactly what order they go in. So we're not trying to play jigsaw puzzles out there. Um, so that works really well, too.
6: Here's a new tip for you. Instead of numbering the panels, number the connection. What so do you now- mean? Instead of, if you have, if you've got a room and you've got the four panels make up the room, you've got panel one is connected to panel two, two to three, four to one, which makes no sense. But if you number the connections, so when the first two panels go together, that's that's connection one, you put a one on both panels, and you go to the next connection, that's connection two, you put two on both panels, and now you come around, you've got four on both panels on the other end. Now you know tab A goes into the slot A. And you can put that thing together really quickly without even having plans. Wow! Oh. Haunts by IKEA. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, <laughs> it,
3: it, it's amazing how much material this saves too. You know, I, I remember I was working with my general manager on the hayride, and we'd do this uh, for outdoor haunts and making mazes. And you know, the, the first thing you realize is right angles are not scary. So a maze with all right angles just it's it's not scary. It uses so much material. But uh, doing odd shapes and, 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 you know, cutting back on that. And it's amazing how strong it is because this process works good with, Leonard, you probably use it more for indoor haunts, but we use it for outdoor haunts, which would have to withstand a New England summer. So the occasional tropical storm or hurricane comes through and, you know, the, the – scenes which were you know we thought were permanent and you know were built like a house wall and were you know right angles and the guy who built it did it three years before and sits out there they're the ones that fall over and you know our goofy you know if you looked at it from a distance it looks like this maze should not be standing up but it would be solid and and handle a thousand people crashing into it uh each night and you know require the least repairs as you know the the right angles and the stuff we thought you know was permanent that, that that'd that take the bigger beating
6: it's hard to it's hard to brace a, a square grid show you've got to have some really long boards to be able to hit those diagonals um so it it becomes a it becomes harder to brace and and yeah if if a triangular grid uh maze is, is braced properly you can't move one wall without moving the whole thing, so it's not it's not going to go anywhere, you're right? Mm-hmm. I, and I do like the idea that it, that it does add more twists and turns. Many years ago, I or several years ago, I, I came up with a with an epiphany that haunted house design is all in how do I shorten my sight line and where do I hide my monsters? How do you hide the monsters? So shortening the sight line allows you to have two groups be closer together to each other without them being able to see what's happening to the group ahead of them. So you want that, that pathway to be as twisty and turning as possible. Uh, and then where do you hide the monsters? And the triangular grid uh, really helps that that pathway uh, with lots of twists and turns. You have to be careful because you can't do a zigzag hallway because it actually becomes a straight hallway with it's a triangular grid. But, um, but if you're careful with it, you can make it you know much more uh, com- convoluted a pathway. And you can get more haunt in the same square footage because the hallways are now three foot six instead of four feet, which means every two bays of wall, you've got an extra foot that you're at throwing into the next hallway all the way down. And pretty soon you've got you've got you know a few extra hallways that you wouldn't have had in a square grid uh,
0: I will definitely testify to this because I remember back in 2019, you and I were both working at the same haunt up in New York. No names. But um, I was actually helping you put walls up on the inside of this haunt, and it was amazing how quickly this thing went up. We probably put up 30 or 40 panels in a few hours' time, and I know there was a full crew working as well. But they probably assembled that entire haunt in a couple of weekends, and it was was a pretty large, under-a-tent haunt. And then suddenly COVID hit, and you know I don't know what's happened to them since, but you know that was fascinating. They're
6: looking to at me. They're, they're they're trying to should make a decision this month as what the is whether they're going. Excellent. Yeah, it's still well, around.
0: But they, uh, it was astonishing to see just how fast. You know, you, you'd stick the two panels like this with the brackets, and boom, next one, please. Yeah. And that was pretty cool. So yes, yep. and the fact that you couldn't walk more than about four feet without bumping into something or you had to turn to, to at least see where you were going. It, it is quite disorienting. It's like walking into a Tim Burton maze or something. It was kind of all twisty and angly and absolutely unnerving.
6: One of the, one of my early recollections of that, when we fir- I first started doing the triangular grid, this, this guy waited in line for an hour, went into the haunted house, came out, says, well, that was really good, Leonard. Where's my car? He, he, You know, I always put my entrance and, and the exit of my haunted house right side by side because I want people coming out, you know, talking about how great it was to, to build up the anticipation for the people going in. And he was so lost because he'd never taken a never took a 90 degree turn the entire time he was going through the haunt. He was so lost. That he had no idea where he was or, or where the parking lot was. Um, we did a haunt built a haunt one time on a, on a parking lot in a tent that had three feet of fall in 60 feet across that parking lot and we, you know the the, the triangle grid was perfect it's set up in there it was you know set up on the on the on the slope and but you would actually get seasick just walking through the, if you walk through the thing too fast it would make you seasick because all the walls were tilted different directions and then we had one we did a did a in uh, gurney illinois at the six Flags park and they didn't tell us that there was a drain in the middle of the space that we were putting the thing, and it had a, it had a foot or two of fall from the outside to the center all the way around and i thought man this is going to be crazy and but those panels just stair stepped right down the hill and right back up out it was it was amazing how how versatile uh, that system is and um yeah i mean i keep trying to come up with ways to make it better or trying to use new materials or something to to make it you know faster or cheaper or whatever and i can't I, we're using the same thing i've been doing for several years 20 or 30 years really um, and You know, nobody's come out with a better system yet.
3: Leonard, you mentioned uh, you you like to do stuff like having the entrance and exit next to each other. Uh, For your haunt designs, are there some best practices which you think should be in each haunt, like an an opening or a grand finale or something? Do you have an algorithm
6: for that? Um, I always try to put my best room design last, my best scare last. And then I put my next to best scare first. And the first one is to set up the group, you know, so that they know we're serious. And then the last one hopefully sends them, you know, running out the exit and, and laughing and having a good time. Um, you know, and, and I may have said that this earlier, that, that I, the hallways between the scares or, or the distance between the scares is less at the end than it is at the beginning to try to to try to speed people through. Um, and then I, it is nice to have some kind of a, uh, you know, a grand finale of some kind, you know, just so that you can make people remember, you know, what happened and, and you know, maybe there's more actors at the end than there are in the beginning. You know, the, there's a lot to be said for anticipation, you know, so going through the first part of the haunt and Definitely. not seeing much, you know, and then having some, you know, some actors pop out and then all of a sudden at the end, they're all over the place, you know, is is a, is a valid approach, for sure.
0: Why are, why, or why are there so many chainsaws at the end?
3: Because <laughs> you got to put the gas all in the same place.
0: I guess, <laughs> you know, and, and like, you know, like Leonard said, if the exit's right there at the entrance, you can hear that chainsaw going as you're waiting in line. So it's like, I guess there's a chainsaw at the end, but, oh, God. I,
5: I am a so. medieval haunt. You would be amazed how many people ask me, is there someone with a chainsaw? Am I going to get chased by a chainsaw? Where's the chainsaw guy? Medieval haunt. No chainsaw. It's a
6: castle thing. It's a, it's a yeah. castle thing. <clears throat> Unless and it's you know, or
0: something, okay. so. you know, Jonna, you could actually make like a medieval regular saw, but instead of a blade, run a length of chain there, and have people running around chasing people with that, saying, "There's the chainsaw!" Huh? <laughs> huh? Huh? you're
6: is welcome of, if that's used. Is, is part of your haunt outside? Do you have uh, a
5: trail? No, it's it's um we are underneath the patio, and then we go into a laser tag room, and then we come out that so it's it's all inside basically or covered.
6: It's one of my favorite scares and sometimes I use it as Q line entertainment is a guy with a leaf blower, gas powered leaf blower, because it sounds just exactly like a chainsaw and it blows stuff on you. So you can chase people all over with that and he's just in a maintenance outfit, you know, acting like an idiot and going around and <laughs>
5: Another thing is they always ask they were like, are there clowns? I was like, there weren't clowns back in the fifteen hundreds but we do have jesters we don't tell them we have jesters but we have a huge what i'd call the jesters revenge area you and know what
0: else
5: jesters everywhere
0: you know what else they had a lot of back then jonna plague kilts so if you have somebody with a blower
5: be oh. careful. <laughs> yeah i have a few people in kilts that's true
0: <laughs> any other questions for leonard
3: uh, Leonard, uh, anything you see that's going to be a big change on the horizon to the haunt industry?
6: You know, there really hasn't been a lot of of you know huge developments. You know, LED lighting was was big, and everybody's kind of embraced that.
5: Oh, the um, best,
6: especially if, to have your fog machine to work. Yeah, I mean, it. it there, you know, it, it's kind of funny because you know the I guess the latest trend was the the full contact or the the uh, uh, haunted houses where people touch you. And, you know, in, in the seventies, when I started doing haunted houses, touching people was really common. You know, we had just graduated from peeled grapes for eyeballs and spaghetti for brains, you mm-hmm. know, and, and having to go through a haunt and dig through something nasty in the toilet to find a key to get out of the room is really just peeled eyeballs for, you know, peel grapes for eyeballs and spaghetti for brains. It just has a higher production value. So, you know, everything kind of comes full circle. You know, early on in my career, we pushed as far away from touching people as we could, you know, and, and now it's back. But I think it's really that's really kind of fading out there. Were, the first time I ever saw any of that was in so I was in. I was doing uh, I was in a job in Salt Lake City, Utah, and, and went to the haunted houses that October. And there were um, almost all of the haunted houses had some form of, you know, you know, upgrade. You had to pay more money to get to, to be touched or manhandled by you know, by the actors, and there was one haunt that didn't, and then the next year when I went back, even that haunt had picked up, you know, the, the glow necklaces to, for people to get grabbed, uh, but the last time I went, there were several of them that, that no longer had that stuff going on, so so I, I think that that fad is kind of fading out, luckily, yeah, and the problem, I didn't have a problem with it, I mean, people touching me doesn't really bother me, but they the actors didn't know why they were touching me. you know, they had the ability, they, had, they were allowed to do it, but you know, they're going to mess with your hair or take your hat off or, you know, they, they didn't really, and there wasn't any, any reasoning behind them touching you. And it, it didn't, so it didn't make sense. You know, you're walking down a, you know, a dark hallway and there's whispers around and something grabs your ankle or your, or your wrist. That's scary as crap. But having a an actor walk up to me boldly and, you know, take my hat off or, you know, turn me around and sit me in a chair. It just doesn't, doesn't really do anything for me. May you know, Maybe that fourteen year old girl that's gonna scream at everything at everything. Maybe it gets her, but uh then it's not gonna scare me. You know, it's not gonna scare that twenty one year old white male that's the hardest person to scare in a haunted house. And uh that's 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 who I target. That's who I'm trying to scare. If I can get him to jump a few times, you know, or maybe make him scream like a girl, I, he's gonna be upset. His buddies are gonna be laughing at him for the rest of his life. Leonard,
0: you looked terrified when you and I went to Brighton Asylum in Passaic, New Jersey, and that nurse grabbed you and put you in the wheelchair and pushed you down the hall into the arms of that giant monster. You were absolutely terrified, right?
6: That's acting. That's acting. Well, you,
3: you're that's also terrible. in Passaic. I mean, that's that's a reason to be terrified as it is, having grown up in <laughs> Jersey.
0: There you go. That's a great
6: show. I it was a show. I was yeah, really that impressed.
0: was that was a lot of fun. Thank just, you, Rich, for letting us go through that. But uh
6: it was a, it was all, one of the one of his rim designs was something that I'd come up with a year before, and I thought this guy's stealing my stuff. In fact, there <laughs> were two of them. That I thought that I'd come up with that. I thought no one else was doing, and I said he had him. He had him in his show. It's like, wait a minute, Did you guys, have you been to New York?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what is your opinion on off season haunts? And you know, I, Jim mentioned I think before we went on the air that he went to an off season haunt. I just went to a halfway to Halloween show, and. They're I popping up great. everywhere Christmas, Valentine's, St. Patrick's I Day, Screen Break,
6: everything. I think it's great. There were two Six Flags parks, Six Flags parks, mm-hmm. which are not exactly known for their spectacular, fantastic Halloween events. Two Six Flags parks that did uh, an off season Halloween event this year, which is huge. I, don't, I have no idea. I haven't heard any follow ups on how they did. But, you know, if Universal Studios or some of the bigger parks start doing stuff like that, in the middle of the year. Wow, just think of that. I mean, that that's the biggest problem with making money with the haunted house is that it's it's locked into October. There's no reason for it to be locked in, in October. There's more horror movies in on Christmas time than there is in October. There's no reason for haunted houses to be as an entertainment value venue to be to be locked into October. But we are at least in the United States. Man, if we can expand that into another season and do something midsummer, oh my gosh, that is a game changer. You know, the haunted house industry is the strongest industry I've ever seen. It, it, you know, we, we had a huge dip with 9-11 happen. When they hit the towers in New York there, we, it was September, you know, and the haunted houses were either, some of them were open, but some of them were were trying to open. And there were people that took 60% hits in their attendance that year. And it took us a, it took us a long time to get back up to those numbers, but we, we did. And it since then really it's an average 10% increase in in attendance at at every haunt that I talk to. Sometimes there's a weather problem, weather year, you know, it'll rain all the time and and their numbers down. If their, if their baseball team is in the the world series, their numbers are down, you know, but on average, the industry rises about 10% per year and has been for as long as I can remember. So, I mean, even through COVID, COVID was a huge boom really for the haunted house industry because there were so many other things that were closed. If you were able to get open, you did great numbers, even with a limited ca- capacity, limited people are supposed to be, you know, at the on the property, and you know, and and we've uh, some of the haunts have, di- have dipped down below those numbers since COVID, but but they're still. I mean, our numbers are so strong. It, it, you know, and people are getting into the haunted house industry hand and fist. I answer phone calls every day about people asking me questions about different stuff, um, you know, and and thinking about getting into the industry and asking me what I think about their location and that kind of stuff. And, and you know, and, that, and that's what really entrepreneurs has really niched ourselves down into helping people get started in the industry. You know, we know codes, we know design, we know the best way to build a haunted house, we know the best way to scare people, in my opinion. And, you know, and that's... Uh, that's really what we've niched ourselves down into, and and, uh, and we love doing it. We can only do a few clients a year, you know. So we have a you know, full, full service, and and we we really enjoy doing it. I you know I, I still love designing haunted houses after all these years of doing it. and I'm constantly coming up with new room designs and new concepts to scare people with, and and uh, loving every minute of it. I've, I've never built two haunted houses that were that, never.
0: I think it's ironic though, that I think out in California, it was either a great American park or a six flags park that said they were not doing a Halloween event this year.
2: Hmm.
0: I don't know if you've heard. Yeah. I think that yeah. was announced probably in February or March that they were just not doing it. It was more of a family friendly park than an extreme coaster park. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure which one it was. I, I just remember we. I think we mentioned it on the news, but uh, that's the only. Yeah, I think it is a great
3: America, but I I think it is a change too. It wasn't, you know, that they were going to try and compete and do a scary Halloween thing. They were, you know, some of these parks are toning down and doing a different type of Halloween. They're uh, doing the family-friendly kids stuff. Yeah, Yeah. more family-friendly or more, you know, your your traditional, you know, jack-o'-lanterns and 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 you know decorations and stuff, which you know makes sense, and especially how many. You know, if you're competing with the big places with the rides and stuff, go with it. And I think that's also why um, we're seeing such an uptick in the uh, Arbor Day, I mean, halfway to Halloween uh, (laughs) events, because, uh, you know, our competition, like Leonard said, haunts will see a drop if your local sports team is in the playoffs well there's your target market and you know there's this time of year there's not as many sporting events you know the, the ones that would uh, you know compete with in the fall aren't happening other things that you compete with aren't going on big blockbuster movies don't come out till may uh so you know this 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 time of year is a new sweet spot and you know you get out of the concept of you know only doing horror haunts and halloween in october you know whew, april and may is 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 could be gold for the industry
0: assuming you can get building done in time especially if you're doing major renovations i mean the haunt i went to this past weekend was only open halfway they said they were only opening half the haunt for half the price that was because halfway to halloween so because they were doing major renovations on the rest of the haunts. so you know for those people especially if you do a major redesign maybe you could maybe you should do a halfway to halloween half the haunt half the price kind of a kind of a deal kind of give people a tease as to what's going to be happening in the fall and and keep people keep the uh, name of the haunt in the back of their heads so
3: well that's 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 also you know a, a good thing with planning and i i guess that's a good last question for me for leonard leonard how much of a haunt needs to be um changed each year is there a percentage that really works
6: you know What's really cool about the triangular grid system is that especially in a situation where you're, where you are taking your show down anyway, if it's in a tent or if it's in a building that's used for other things, you never have to put that thing together the same way twice. So you could literally change a hundred percent of it uh, every year without, you know, without a huge expense. Um, you know, I always like to change the, the, the ending if I can and maybe the beginning. Um, yeah. You know, and one of the things that, that I've promoted to my clients is, you know, what about sending people through it backwards, change the costumes, change the name, send people through the haunt backwards. They'll never know it was they'll never know it was. it's the same haunt. And if you if you when you're designing it, if you look at that and with that in mind and design it for a flow going both directions. Now you've got a haunt that you can change next weekend, change the costumes, change the name, change the tagline on the on the sign, send them through the thing backwards. And it's a completely different haunt
0: any uh final questions for leonard we do need to start winding this down
6: you're not gonna let me talk on that
0: normally we would but we, we we have a recording schedule too we 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 have bandwidth
6: <laughs> well there's just so much more to say we'll have to do it again <laughs> oh absolutely we, we
0: absolutely is correct so if there are no further questions Leonard, I, we want to thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with us here on The Big Scary Show. This is the part of the show we normally call The Plugs. So we want to know, you, you mentioned something about speaking at the Southeast Hollows Haunt Convention this weekend in Savannah, Georgia. Are there other conventions or shows where you'll be speaking at some over the next few months And, um, how could people get more information about, you know, maybe I, maybe I want to be one of those people that own a haunted house and I want to find the best way to design it. And I also know that at fear expo, you were selling books of site plans and designs that you had come up with over the years. How can people find out more information about all of that?
6: You you just Google Leonard pickle. I show up like a rash. The, uh, everything I've got is at entrepreneurs.com. um, yeah, I, I had somebody. I, every once in a while, I'd have somebody call me up and say, "You know, Leonard, I, I really like what you do, and I want to do this triangular thing, and and and, uh, but I really, I just can't afford to, buy, to hire you. Can't afford to hire you. Don't you have a a, a floor plan on a house floor plan that you're not using that you can just give me?" And it's just like, no. But <laughs> uh, but I had so many people come and ask that that I, I took a bunch of my older uh, floor plans and and you know put thirty of them in a in a little booklet. And, and we sell that on the website for 60 bucks and that includes shipping. So it's got 30 different floor plans in it. Some of them are square grids. Some of them are, or most of them are trying, but some of them are square grid and they're actually haunts that, that were built and, and were operated. And, you know, so it's, it's kind of a history, you know, someday I'll come up with the the next 10 years of haunts and, and and put a volume two out. And, and I've been thinking really hard about doing something about room designs too. coming up with a book about room designs and, uh, it's just time and money. That's all it takes. It's just time and money. That's all. If I just had more of both of those, i could like do all kinds of stuff. Same with everybody, I guess.
0: That's, that's the one thing hey, we don't man. have enough of <laughs> time and or money. So once again, folks, entrepreneurs.com or Google Leonard pickle, that's pickle with an E L as opposed to an L E. So, you know, like he says, he pops up like a rash. So be <laughs> sure. And, uh, Check him out. And, and if you're going to the Southeast Hollows Conference, go check out his uh, his speaking seminar. It, it should be fascinating to listen to. He is a he is a very interesting person, as you probably have heard from tonight's conversation. But we couldn't do this again without our fantastic hosts who had lots of good questions and comments, including Storm
3: you know, all the great information, wonderful throwbacks. Uh, I'm really hoping that, you know, there's a Hong Kong in the future where Eric Estrada is master of ceremonies.
0: Oh, we, we You have to make that happen. No, at, at least. I, 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 hey, Wicked Wendy knows Larry Wilcox. So maybe we can, uh, maybe we can do well, something with that, that.
3: That would work. But, to, you know, to, to get Estrada, you'd probably have to buy some Swampland in Kentucky from him.
0: <laughs> or just buy those glasses he used to promote on that, commercial estrada so there you go also want to thank meat hook jim
7: oh well, you know just listening to this round table it just reminds me of why leonard's called the godfather you're
1: just calling me old
7: <laughs> period experienced
0: well there's
1: your there's your
0: costume for the next haunt con the uh the, you know godfather zombie or something
6: godfather, yeah. oh i never thought about dress up as a godfather Actually, I went as a gangster once, but not really a godfather.
0: Yeah. Nothing beats the time. Nothing beats the time you went as the Frankenstein in Orlando, and the person from Universal was teaching you to use a bullwhip outside. So, you know, get this picture in your head, folks Leonard Pickles in a Frankenstein's monster costume. He's standing about seven foot five, and he's learning how to use the bullwhip with predictable results. I, I won't funny. go any. I won't go any further than that. But we also want to funny. thank the old crone, aka Jana.
5: Thank you, Leonard. It was it was great talking to you. And uh, we are not going to be back again before Mother's Day. So I want to say hi to all of you haunt moms out there.
6: Happy Mother's Day.
0: Very nice. My name is Drew Badger in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I just want to take the time to say when this show drops on Saturday, I will be watching my oldest daughter graduate from university so i just want to say i'm so proud of you now go out and get a job so i don't have to pay your life anymore anyway <laughs> i'm very very proud of my oldest and my youngest this is the round table of terror here on the big scary show
3: okay now i need our listeners to go completely viral i want tiktoks of people going up to leonard at haunt shows and giving him a cannoli Or
0: a bull, or a bullwhip.
3: I used to get pickles. People used to hand me pickles.
6: It was the weirdest thing.
3: I was going with the whole Godfather thing, you know, leave Um, the gun, take the
0: cannoli. The time you were the zombie fire marshal was also a brilliant one. That was a brilliant. That is good.
6: My my concept of a costume is: can I eat in it? Can I drink in it? Can I dance in it? And that's really about it. If it fits those criteria, I'm there. Well, two words
0: that I never thought I would say again are twerking pickle which I remember from a show many, many years ago. We will, no, we will not that, discuss that. That we,
6: never happened. That never happened. Have, I wish you would stop spreading those nasty rumors, and I bought all the videos, and so you have no proof.
0: I have audio that we may have to drop on this show. Mm. <sighs> but our silence can be bought. We will discuss later.
6: <laughs> Give bill. This is Leonard Pickle with hauntrepreneurs.com, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show.
7: Passion is what drives us. The passion to be the best. For over 10 years, that passion has taken
3: us from eBay to becoming the driving force in the haunted house industry, and we are just getting started. From Flex Props. 9 foot giants. Great details, great looks, and great pricing is the foundation we are built on. Our heart beats Halloween and haunts. We are a Creepy Collection. Let us deliver our passion to your haunted attraction this season. CreepyCollection.com. Now that's
2: creepy.
7: Greetings listeners, and welcome welcome. Watch out, don't Don't trip over that torso. torso. It's time time. 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 for Between between the the Corpses. corpses. Greetings viewers and listeners, Meat Hook Jim here. And as we continue our journey down torture and execution, We are at silent and solitary confinement. Solitude and silence are favorable to reflection and may possibly lead to repentance, declared prison reformer John Howard. With these words, he condemned hundreds of prisoners to a solitary existence that destroyed their spirit and threatened their sanity. John Howard was dead by the time the rule of silence was imposed on Britain carried off by gall fever while inspecting prisons of the Crimea. Although well-meaning, in practice his rule was a harsh punishment. Behind the desire to impose silence upon prisoners was the level of noise in the 18th century jails that left inmates unable to ponder the error of their ways. Clergymen were convinced that silence, like that established in monasteries, was necessary for contemplation and rehabilitation. It would also end the tradition of an old prisoner tutoring a young felon in methods of crime. Britain was finally pushed into adopting silent association after witnessing its effects in the American prisons of Auburn and Sing Sing. In Philadelphia's Eastern State Penitentiary, opened in 1829 at a cost of $780,000, prisoners were held in solitary confinement for up to five years. Such sentences were rejected in England as too cruel. All conversation between prisoners was banned at Coldbath Fields House of Correction in London in 1834, the first of 20 English jails to take the monumentous step the governor at Coldbath Fields reported. Prisoners are kept under constant and secret inspection day and night. Every movement of the prisoners is made so at, as to prevent their faces being turned to each other. They are never allowed to congregate or cluster together. They, may, they move in solitary lines in single file. To drive the message home, Prisoners were masked and tagged, so they were known only by a number. Women donned black veils and likewise wore a tag. The aim was to prevent prisoners from recognizing each other. Speech was punished by a flogging or a bread and water diet. Even a whisper was enough to earn a spell in the punishment block known as the Dark Cells. Instead, inmates adopted secret codes including hand signals and pipe tapping. One letter and one visit were permitted for prisoners every six months. They suffered delusions, depression, and sometimes madness. Charles Dickens was against silent association. I hold the slow and daily tampering with the mysterious mysteries of the brain to be immeasurably worse than any torture of the body. In 1835, Elizabeth Fry spoke out against prisons of the day. In some respects, I think there is more cruelty in our gaols than I have ever before seen. It was nevertheless a golden age for prisons. In Britain, the model prison, Pentonville, was opened in 1842. Australia's largest building, the Penitentiary at Port Arthur, was completed the same year... And in France, prisoners were given meager wages in return for menial work. The failing condition of prisoners' mental health eventually caused a rethink about silence in prisons in Britain, as it had done in America. Solitary confinement was officially abandoned abandoned in Eastern State Penitentiary in 1913, although in reality it had broken down years before. Wow, so... Little bit of Europe, a little bit of US. Uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. No.
1: Horror.
2: <laughs> no. no! Horror. Stop it!
1: Horror. <laughs> the ultimate in evil. The absolute in terror from the shockmasters. Together in the same double shock show. Frankenstein created woman and the mummy shroud in dripping, dripping color.
4: Sam Haynes, Sam Haynes, Sam Haines, Catacombs, 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 scary show, scary show, scary show.
7: Hey everyone, it's Don Jameson from That Metal Show, and when you're not checking out our show, you should be listening to The Big Scary Show, like you are right now.
4: Ohio haunted house owners, actors, and enthusiasts, join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook.
5: <laughs> it's time for Astiel Crone. <laughs> I now have a business partner. My favorite wise man and I are officially co-owners of Banshee Manor Adventures, LLC. And I couldn't be happier. We recently made the decision to expand by adding an escape room. But if you're familiar with my haunt, you know that it is a temporary installation. So how am I adding an actual escape room? Just like the haunt, our escape room is a portable, a.k.a., pop-up escape room. Adding this to our business will 1. Generate income year-round 2. Promote the haunted attraction while we're out at events in the local community and 3. Increase revenue during the haunt season itself by adding another ticket item. Now, originally we considered purchasing a larger model that included four separate escape rooms, but between the logistics of something that size being mobile, and the price tag, we decided to stick to my usual business philosophy and start small. Trust me, the decision made it much easier to sleep at night. Having a year-round business is a different beast and has its own challenges, and I'm hoping to be able to share this experience and any new lessons learned with you along the way. First off, as with any relationship, whether business or personal, communication is vital. It is even more critical when your relationship is both. The wise man and I had a long talk to make sure that we knew what each other's expectations and goals were, how to handle disagreements regarding the business FYI, I have veto power, and most importantly, how to work together professionally so as not to damage our personal relationship. Much like a premarital agreement that is signed with the belief and hope that it never has to be used we put everything in writing. So it's exciting to discover the new possibilities of where we can take Banshee Manor together. And I hope you'll enjoy the ride along with us. Until next time, don't forget to stir the cauldron.
4: Marty Rustum presents a new horror classic, Eden Alive. Hello. Created by Toby Hooper, maker of the Texas
1: Chainsaw Massacre. Mel Ferrer, Carolyn Jones. Stuart Whitman. Who's there? Neville Brand. The most terrifying 90 minutes
4: you ever spent in a theater. Eaten alive. A VIP picture rated R.
3: Enter the haunted world of Fright Fine. And discover an environment dedicated. To promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunt attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free and see for yourself the difference. Fright Find. Will make in your
1: haunt listing. All right, guys, this is Bone Daddy from Woods of Terror, Greensboro, North Carolina. A shout out from the Big Scary Show.
4: Sounds good. Verse 13, blighted on the Big Scary Show.
1: Up your show? Need to pump new life into old props? Just want to show something no one else has? Do what Alice Cooper, Distortions Unlimited, and A-List haunters all over the world do. Wear Von Keron. Durable, handcrafted, dependable, year after year. Von Keron. When you scare enough to wear the very best. Von Caron.com. V-O-N. C-H-A-R-O-N dot As we
4: slide back into the swamp where we hid the body we would like to thank the following sponsors Screamline Studios Creepy Collection Dark Imaginings Fright Finder Haunt Pay Von Caron Productions and VFX Creates. We'd also like to thank Virgil Franklin, Master of the Ether Muse. And we couldn't do this without the three ghosts, including Badger. Haunt Consulting and more. Rabidbadger.org Meet Hook Jim. Check out his other podcast at WrestleHorror.com And Storm. Rants and more. HauntMinute.com And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing.
0: The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show, LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.